On today's show, a crossover edition of the podcast, talking with the folks from the Locked On Knicks podcast. We'll get into Jonte Murray, trade stuff, and much more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1633 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening, and I am joined on today's podcast. In fact, in crossover fashion, I'm basically the guest on this show by the folks at Locked On Knicks. We talk all things DeJounte Murray. They asked me to come on the podcast, and here we are talking about DeJounte trade stuff for the most part. But uh, I'm sort of in the role of providing information on Murray on this podcast. So some folks, I'm sure, will have heard me share a lot of this information in the past. But sort of a bonus episode, a crossover, and a good sort of bridge between the game on Wednesday that the Hawks, of course, prevailed in last night as I'm recording this podcast. And then they also have a back-to-back on Friday and on Saturday. We'll have full coverage of those games as well. If you missed it, by the way, I covered the game on Wednesday in great depth from being in the building last night, as well as the latest trade stuff at the end of that podcast. It's been a busy week on the show already, and I encourage you at the top of the podcast as well to make it your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify, as well as YouTube, etc. And without any further delay, we'll get into this show right now. Myself and Gavin Shaw talking all things Hawks, Knicks, DeJounte Murray, trade stuff, etc. And here we go. All right, guys, as promised, it's a Locked On crossover. I'm Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast. He's Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks, and we could only be talking about one thing, how much we love Trey Young. No, it's <laughs> it's a DeJounte Murray trade. Um, rumors abound um, on the Knicks' interest. I'm a little bit dubious um, in terms of just how interested the Knicks are, but they're certainly one of the teams in the conversation when you hear DeJounte Murray's um, name brought up. So, Brad, I, I think there's only one place to start. Like, how much of a certainty is it that the Hawks ultimately move off to Jante Murray before this trade deadline? I shudder to use the word certain on anything when it comes to trades. I'm sure you have experience with this too. Like, uh, fans don't like it when I say this. Trades are hard to make. I know they're they're not hard to make in the trade machine, but as far as like all the all the things in play, you know, ownerships get, ownership gets involved all the sides. Um, so I'm, I'm always a little bit lower than most people are on, even on Intel wise. Like if I hear something's like 90%, I'm going to go to 80%. It's one of those things. Um, I think it's likely to happen that they move him. That's been reported out there. Woe just had that. I've heard the same, um, but w- what likely means is kind of a variable thing. So I think it's probably going to happen that they move him in the next two, three weeks before the deadline. But at the same time, um, Things could always change if they go on a wing streak, if the owner gets involved, all those things. It could, it could always pivot, but I'm pretty confident that he gets moved. Gotcha. Um, how would you summarize his year and a half on the Hawks? Because obviously it's not what Atlanta hoped for. And um, I had really high expectations when he was going to Atlanta. I was like, wow, what a move. Like arguably top three, four defensive guard in the league, teaming up with Trey Young, um, his ability to get to the rim, Trey shooting. It seemed like, if not a match made in heaven, a, a really clean fit between two really good players that was going to elevate Atlanta. Obviously, it hasn't quite worked out to that extent, though the individual production has clearly still been there for DeJounte. So why is Atlanta moving on? Yeah, I think that the way you put that about, you know, the year and a half or so, I think it's been underwhelming. It's not been calamitous. You know, people, I think if you assume that uh, the Hawks are probably going to trade him, you might think it's gone terribly. And I I wouldn't actually say that as far as just what DeJounte has brought to the table and how it's fit together. 
on offense, that was kind of the question. It was like, does the offense work? It's like you said, defensively, it was like, all right, this is going to help the Hawks, point of attack, et cetera. Um, the big thing, the big picture thing is that the Hawks are about 500 in the last year and a half. And if they, if you told them that, they would have done the trade. I think that's that's pretty obvious. I'm not sure if they would admit that, but you you don't trade three first round picks to essentially be the the exact same team as far as overall quality. You know, the the team mm. dynamics have changed, but Murray's supposed to help them go to the next level, and they're still at the same level. So you don't you, that's kind of just a very intuitive thing as far as like how it's worked. You know, I think Dejounte offensively has kind of grown a lot to be honest with you he's shooting the ball better than he ever has that's a very positive thing um i don't think it's been like oil and water with he and trey they've not fit perfectly but you've seen steps in the right direction with quinn snyder kind of using them together more often um the big thing is is the defense where i think the hawks just kind of misevaluated what they were going to get out of Dejounte, and we can talk about that more i'm sure but he's not lived up to the, to the billing on defense for sure that 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 i'm confident in you can kind of talk about the nuances on offense Having watched every minute of the Jonte Murray air on defense, he's not been the guy they thought, they, they thought that they envisioned him him being defensively, and uh, it's not all on him either. I will certainly say that this is a bad defensive team outside mm-hmm. of Jonte Murray, but I think that that's kind of the area that I would circle first. Be like, all right, the theory of it was basically pair with Trey, help the second unit offense, raise the level on offense, and also key help the point of attack defense, which, which the which the Hawks have struggled with a lot, and that second part just hasn't happened. Yeah, I that that that's that's what shocked me because he was he was so good on that end in San Antonio and kind of physically overwhelming and and seemed to be someone who like loved playing defense watching him and and I think he's he said stuff since like I I forgot if it was DeMar DeRozan or or you you'd probably know this Brad but some some player told him earlier in his career like like hey if you want to be on the floor to score like you you got to defend and maybe it was to some extent a means to an end for him because I, I I don't think in his mid twenties that is like defense and correct me if I'm off on this maybe some injury I missed but like it doesn't make sense that his defensive talent just fell off a cliff um and and the fact that he's not as good I mean it feels like a priority thing like how he sees himself as a player and, and maybe just a little bit of of a cultural thing and not that like his last Spurs team was anything incredible on the defensive end of the floor but just the years of infrastructure and, and pride on that end in San Antonio and then you come and you see. Trey Young, I mean, this year obviously giving a much better effort, but but struggling. And you're like, man, why am I why am I the star guard who has to do all this? I'm, I'm just as good as of an offensive player. But Brad, that that's me guessing. On uh, from your perspective, actually having to your point, watched every minute of Dejounte. W- what's been the issue for him on the defensive end in, in a Hawks uniform? Yeah, I think it's a lot of those things that you mentioned, kind of put into one. One one thing is it's not like a unique story that as a guy's offensive role in the league increases his defense gets worse that that kind of happens a lot honestly it's not always sharp but i mean i think for the most i mean you, you kind of struggle to find guys who have had their usage go to where his his went at the end of san antonio and where it's been in atlanta and have maintained their defense um a recent example of this not the same position but like a lot of whispers about mikhail bridges defense in, in brooklyn for instance mm-hmm. like he's not the same defensive player that he was in phoenix now that he's carrying an offensive workload and you know it's not like a skill thing it's just maybe it's an energy thing, maybe it's a role thing, it's a mindset thing. Um, every guy is different, but you know, early in his career in San Antonio, he was a late first round pick. He, uh, to your point, had to earn it defensively, and I think he was kind of their defensive stopper early in his career. That was kind of how he got paid the first time around. The rookie extension was like he was the third guard, kind of like fly around defender. And by the end, and look, I, I won't claim to have watched all Dejounte's last season or two in San Antonio because I'm I don't cover the Spurs, but. When I was doing research after the trade, 
guys that covered that team were like just kind of whispering to me like, hey, he's not quite the same defender he was a couple years ago. So even by the even by the end of San Antonio, it was kind of like, you know, and by the way, it was understandable because he was carrying like a 30 percent usage rate and like he was the only guy on that team pre Wemby. You know what I mean? So it made sense. And the hope was a little bit less usage with Trey, pick it back up. And that just hasn't happened. And um, to defend DeJounte a little bit on his defense, it's kind of funny to say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not a great role for him either. Like, I think he's he is best suited as a habit creator. He's he's always been best at that. He's you know he's a big time steals guy. He still gets steals, which I think covers up if you don't watch him every night for his defensive foibles. Like he's got great hands. He's good anticipator, but he's not bulky at all. He's very skinny. He's not a strong defender. So against point guards, it's not as glaring as it is against wings. But if you're playing next to Trey Young, you have to defend wings sometimes. And they thought that they were going to get more out of him. And look, size wise, he is six four, six five. He's not a, he's not short for a point guard. But honestly, he's a point guard. And that is maybe what we'll get into that on the Knicks front where they have a guy that's not the same player as Trey Young, but kind of similar in some ways with Jalen Brunson. Like um, the fit stuff there is kind of a question, but I do think that in general with his defense, it's it's perhaps effort-based. It's perhaps um, just, you know, keying on a defense. And I think that if you watch him play and play out, it can be maddening. And uh, again, not not alone. He, he gets beat on back cuts. His point of attack resistance is not the same as it used, as it used to be. And it's it's frustrating. I'm sure you notice this across the league. When he's dialed in for a quarter or something, you can see the guy that used to be there. Mm. And then the next quarter or the next half, it won't be there anymore. And part of that maybe is cultural with the Hawks. But um, you know, even the advanced numbers, like I don't know if you buy into those as much as some people do, but like, you know, it's EPM, all that stuff is way down in Atlanta. Part of that again is could be team context, but the outsets matches it, and I think he's just not been that guy. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on if you're DeJounte Murray or not. His reputation around the league is still kind of sticky. Is like people just assume he's a good defender because he because he used to be a good defender. It's kind of like, especially with guards, I feel like reputation is very sticky. Like once you're proven to be a good defender, people think you're still a good defender whether you are or not. And I think he's kind of riding that a little bit in terms of like of the perception because I'm sure you're getting this too from Knicks fans. When other teams ask me about Dejounte Murray, other teams fans, they're like, "Well, we know about we know Stevens is good." It's like, "Well, do we?" I, I actually don't know that, having watched yeah. him for a year and a half. So it's uh, it's interesting for sure. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize is the largest DFS platform in North America, and also the most easy and exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And Prize Picks, you pick two six players, then choose what they actually have going to have more or less than a projection in a ton of different categories across sports. And with 25 times money on your entries, you can now pick common projections across the board that allow you to include two or more different players from sports and leagues across those and combine them together. And there's a huge selection at Prize Picks of sports not offered anywhere else. And they also have stat projections not offered anywhere else as well. That has, they have, of course, they have the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, and much more. They have a reboot policy as well at Prize Picks. And they are the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. And I've really enjoyed Prize Picks for quite some time now, especially on the NBA front where I am digging in every single day on this podcast and beyond, but also the NFL is there. And I'm really uh, interested in checking it out. And I do so every single day. And on the whole, the experience is fantastic at Prize Picks. It's easy, it's fun, and easily recommended by me. And the place to go is prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use promo code locked on NBA for a first time deposit match up to $100. One more time, that is prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use, pro- use, use promo code locked on NBA when you get there. Check out DFS made easy with Prize Picks. 
Today's show is sponsored by LinkedIn Jobs. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What is the one move that I can make that will take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs is knows that they, they have all the success that you need, and it all depends on the team that you surround yourself with. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find professionals for your team, do it faster, and do it for free. I've used LinkedIn Jobs in the past in my day job and had great success finding people that I was looking for and the right candidates, basically, and doing so quickly as well. It's not just another job board at LinkedIn Jobs. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it a lot easier than most and also the best possible place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have the most qualified candidates possible. And really, that's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Achieving the new goals that you have in this new year is huge for all of us, including me, and finding the right team members can really be important to that and to accomplish all that you're trying to accomplish. Small businesses also rank LinkedIn Jobs number one, delivering quality hires against leading competitors. And they know that small businesses are wearing so many hats right now, it might be hard-pressed to find the time and resources to hire properly. And thankfully, though, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, it's quick, and it's easy. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I feel like the same thing always happened with Steph Curry the opposite way, where everyone assumed he oh, was yeah. a liability, and he got, he got to a point where he was an average to like maybe even a slightly above average defender. Let's go both ways for sure. Um, yeah. Do you with Dej- did it get better in the playoffs last year? Because I think I think from a Knicks perspective, that's my curiosity. Like, all right, let's just say we were in the second round, we were in the conference finals, and if the Knicks were going to pay a premium for that kind of upgrade. I, I think for me, the question would be like, all right, you don't want to defend the regular season. That's fine. Like, can you turn this up in the biggest moments and do it consistently? Or like, and I, I think this is it's something sometimes players themselves assume they can do. And, and it just, it is something that's almost built by habit. And it's very hard to flick that on and off. But, but did you see it jump a level against the Celtics last year? A, a little bit. I think, you know, in general, almost everybody is more attuned in the play, in the playoffs defensively. And I think because he does have the physical tools, that's the one thing you can't, manufacturing the playoffs is, is physical tools like at some point you have to have the goods and I think that again it kind of depends on what, what you're asking him to do unfortunately with Atlanta you have to kind of put him on wings more often or you're having him guard the number one guy because you're trying to hide Trey and that's a lot of discussion that we'll have another day actually Trey's gotten a lot better defensively in a way kind of you mentioned about Steph like Trey's not good don't get me I'm not saying he's good he's, he's not but he's no longer like the like the first percentile defender in the league like he used to be and um, that is sticky too. Um, but no, I, I think DeJounte can ramp it up. And I, I wonder, honestly, and I, I'll probably always wonder this if he gets traded, how much the lack of team success had to do with it. Because I feel like guys generally buy in more when they're winning. And that's not a, that's not a DeJounte thing. That's, that's an everybody thing. Uh, the vibes are better. And defense is sometimes about effort and execution and t- attentiveness, all that stuff. And I, I, I will always wonder if, like, if they had had more success, would that have translated into more energy level or whatever it is and just fit overall. So I think in the Boston series, it was a tough matchup for him because Boston is big. Like he's, he's he was having to guard Jalen Brown. He was having to try to, you know, it wasn't like he had somewhere to hide. Um, so that's a little bit of a challenge, but maybe that'd be the case in New York as well. So I think, he, I think he can do more. I'll kind of always believe that whether he's able to do that in a playoff series to where he used to be. I kind of think the old guy is gone to be honest, like the old first three years in his career stopper. I think that guy's probably gone. I think that he can be and probably would be better um, in, in another spot if he was just bought in and also used in a way that was like more fitting of his skill set, if that makes sense. Gotcha. All right. And then I think the next most important thing to establish is is what the fit would look like 
next to Jalen Brunson, who is a different player than Trey Young and, and certainly not as ball dominant, but does share some similarities. And, and when we've discussed the trade on, on our end of thing, or like a theoretical trade for DeJounte Murray on our end of things, that's where I always get caught up, where I, I feel like it would be recreating the uh, Julius Jalen RJ Barrett dynamic in some ways, a, a blit with a much, 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 much better player. But like, it, I feel like it would be a little bit of dueling banjos and, and my feel for what it's been on the Hawks has been a little bit of that. And now that fit, I, I think, has been made substantially better by the fact that he's having easily the best three-point shooting season of his career, most attempts of his career, best percentage since his rookie season when he took like half a three per game. Um, he's just, just for people who don't have the numbers, um, he's taking six per game this year and he's hitting 38.3% of them, which is obviously awesome. So I guess what I'm getting at here is like, how do you think it would look with Jalen Brunson and how real is the shooting? Because that would need to sustain for the Knicks to have interest in this move. If, if not, like if, if he's more so the three-point shooter he's been for the bulk of his career, which the, the four years before this one, 32%, 33%, 34%, I, I think it makes a heck of a lot less sense for the Knicks to go and try and get him. Yeah, it's it's really kind of ironic how parallel it kind of is, even, even to Atlanta. You know, like, you know, again, Trey and Jalen are not the same guy, but they have you know, they're both smaller point guards who have the ball a lot. And mm -hmm. it's kind of the same theoretical fit in some ways, like not only the, not only the defensive questions, which are certainly, we already talked about those, but offensively, I don't think that that's Murray's best role. Can it work? I think, yes. I think even he and, even he and Trey have had nice flashes together to where like the Hawks have still been good offensively with those guys on the court. They've not been as good as they hoped that they would be, but it's not like it hasn't worked at all. It's a, it was a lot of your turn, my turn earlier in their tenure, Part of that was their coaching. Nate McMillan was kind of an old school guy and didn't run like didn't really run a lot of like complimentary sets with those guys. Quinn's gotten them going a little bit more playing off of each other, which has been more effective. Um, I think ultimately the the broad view I would give you is that I think DeJounte is going to be best somewhere where he's the where he's the point guard. And obviously that, that, would, that would not be the case in New York, nor is it the case in Atlanta, where the, the guys they have are just better than he is at running the offense and all that stuff. Now, DeJounte is a is a really, really talented scorer, which does help a lot. Like, he loves the mid-range, for better or worse, but he's one of those guys that's actually good enough at it where it doesn't kill you, you know what I mean? Some guys are in love with that mid-range shot, and it's kind of to their detriment. He's he's actually good at it. It can be frustrating, but he loves he loves that shot. The three-point shooting um, has been an emphasis a lot in Atlanta, not only for him, but for the whole team with under Snyder, and they've kind of gotten a lot more up as a team. And I do believe in the improvement there. I'm not sure he's a true talent 38% three-point shooter. Like, I'm not sure that's actually real, but mm -hmm. I think he's better than he's ever been, if that makes sense. He's more co he's more confident taking them. Um, he's looking for them more often. The catch-and-shoots are there. Because previous to this, he just didn't have a good feel for catch-and-shoot jumpers. Like, he, he, he had to catch and hold... And look, his natural tendency is still a catch and hold. Like, he doesn't like to make quick decisions. He'll do it more now. I think he's been coached hard to do that in Atlanta by Snyder for about a year now. But I think his natural feel is to, like, catch, hold, observe, make his move, that kind of thing. He's not a, he's not a quick guy like that. But when he lets it fly, it goes in. Um, one of the challenges, though, with DeJounte is that I know you're accurate in saying this has been his best season as a shooter. He's still a below average efficiency guy in every single season of his career, true shooting wise, because he doesn't really get to the, get to the line very often, and he doesn't really make a make a high percentage of his twos. Now they're tough shots, so there's there's a lot to be said for that. But broadly speaking, he's not ever been an efficient shooter. It's gotten better this year. This year's his career best, and I wonder in New York if it would be even better than that. But I I, I do wonder like where his real baseline is now, because I'm not sure 38% shooting for three-point range is sustainable. And if that goes down to 35, 
yeah, taking more threes is good, and it definitely helps you, especially when you're a secondary player, but it's still not his best role. I, I will kind of go to the mat on that. Like I, I, feel, I still think that he wants to, deep down, be the guy. And also, I think he's just more comfortable, and his skill set is more of a point guard who wants the ball all the time and makes decisions like that and operates like that. Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. You should never have to be worried about buying tickets to any event in your area. And with Game Time, you never actually have to worry whatsoever. They have last minute deals on tickets for football or basketball or baseball or hockey, etc. They also have concerts, comedy, theater, and more. It's really easy to navigate and also find and buy the tickets that you're looking for in any event across your community. And they're also obsessed with finding you the best ways to, set, to save money on those tickets that they're offering. They have zone deals for an average savings of 18%. And at game time as well, you can actually view the seats that you're looking for in the venue that you're actually evaluating to help you know exactly what to expect when you arrive at that venue. They have all-in pricing as well, and that really helps you know your total up front without any of the hidden fees some other places might happen to have. And there's peace of mind with the game time app. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best possible price at the game time app. Take all the guesswork out of things and when it comes to buying tickets by using game time right now. And the place to do that and the way to do that is, d- is download the game time app today, create an account, and then use promo code locked on for $20 off your first purchase with game time. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use promo code locked on for $20 off with a game time app. Download the game time app right now today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I think a big part of the Knicks calculus would be, all right, who who are the even bigger names that we're targeting for like Leon Rose's like grand master <laughs> plan? And, and how would DeJounte Murray fit on those teams? Because I, I do think he would ultimately be a stopgap for the New York Knicks. And, and, and that's where this trade maybe falls apart ultimately. Like how many assets are you willing to give up for someone who's a stopgap? Is he going to be worth the equivalent of those assets on an extension that's pretty reasonable if I'm remembering correctly four years 120 million dollars um and and like trading him like in in the next perfect perfect dream world the Sixers blow up they get Joel Embiid and and Daryl Morris says oh DeJounte Murray and Tyrese Maxey that's that that's pretty good um but I like I I look at all these teams I'm like all right do they have a point guard in place that they think is better than DeJounte And, and do they sort of think the same thing you're saying and the same thing I've kind of been thinking from a Knicks perspective like you get him he's great he's clearly an upgrade is he is he overqualified for what you want him to do and underqualified for what he wants to do? And I think I think that's sort of the rub. And that's why it's going to take a very specific team to trade for him. Because I, I think what the Knicks are, are ultimately looking for is someone who can substantially elevate their second unit. And that would be, I don't know, in the playoffs, what is it, like 12 minutes a game where DeJounte gets to shine and gets to cook as the number one guy. But Jalen Brunson, like at that time of year under Tom Thibodeau, he's playing 36 to 40 minutes a game. And the majority of the time DeJounte is on the court, he's going to be the second or like for long stretches, the third option. And I, I, to your point, like he can do that. And obviously he can do that better than someone like Dante DiVincenzo. I'm just wondering if he's happy in that role. And if you're the Knicks, is that ultimately the right allocation of assets to get someone who's a fit, but not the quote unquote perfect fit for what you're giving up? So I, I, I guess where I'm going with that is um, given what the Knicks, like that calculus for the Knicks and what they might be willing to give up, where do you kind of put them on the pecking order between teams like the Lakers, Nets, Spurs? I saw the Heat thrown out today. I'm sure there's three or four others that <laughs> I haven't mentioned that you're, you're well aware of um, in, in terms of potentially trading for them. And, and like in your mind, like who, who's kind of the favorite to go and get them at this point? Yeah, and it's tough because there's like two different sets of rankings, right? It's like what, like which teams have the have the stuff the Hawks would want, mm-hmm. and which teams want Murray the most. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also, which teams need Murray the most? It's almost, almost like there's three things. Like, there are teams like Brooklyn or like Orlando that I think would be like the best basketball fit for DeJounte Murray. Like, they just need a guy. Like, Brooklyn would love to have DeJounte Murray, I feel like. Because, like, yeah, they don't yeah. have a guy that can do that, what he does. You know what I mean? Orlando, same thing. They don't have, they don't have a guy in the backcourt that does that. But they haven't been, at least in what I've heard and what's been reported so far, as eager that I've heard to go get him. Um, then you have the Lakers, who I think are the favorite, as, as you and I are talking right now. Based on what I've heard, based on what's been reported, they obviously want him. Um, they don't have a lot to offer, is the, is the thing with the Lakers. That's a very familiar refrain with the Lakers. Everyone's tied to the Lakers. Um, he's a clutch client, which we could even talk about or not. The CAA clutch thing is uh, very uh, much out there. It's been reported, talked about. I don't know how much that's going to matter, if at all. Um, but, like, I think that if, I, if he gets traded as we record this, I would say the Lakers are the favorite, but only because I think that they are actively the one that's, like, pushing hardest for him, from what mm-hmm. I've heard. Um, but they don't have a lot to offer. Like, so the Knicks have more attractive assets than the Lakers do to the Hawks. I have to, I have to think that. It's just whether the Knicks are willing to trade those assets. And then you have teams like San Antonio, who has the Hawks picks they could send back, at least some of them, probably not all of them. Um yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a morass of teams, and I think that the Lakers have separated themselves a little bit as as far as the likelihood is concerned. Um, but for the Knicks, it really does come down to this is something you probably would even know more than I would. It's like what is their? I don't, we all know they have interest, but how much interest and how willing are they to kind of push in? Because the combination of Fournier as a as a as an expiring matching salary is probably attractive to the Hawks, a team that watch that, that watches their books a lot, and they have a lot of future money coming up. Being able to share that money would be helpful. They have they have picks to offer. They have Quentin Grimes, all that stuff. Like it kind of makes sense as an offer. It's just whether the Knicks are like eager enough to go ahead and throw that stuff out there. Because if they wanted him, if the Knicks decided, hey, we're gonna go go get Jonte Murray at all costs, they would be able to do it. I think we I, we kind of know that. Whereas the Lakers, I'm less sure of that. Even if they put everything on the table, I'm not 100 sure they would get him. So it's like it's this weird dynamic of the Hawks are reportedly asking for two, two first round picks. That's maybe a variable thing based on what else you can offer. Like, if you're trying to attach bad money, then yeah, definitely do first round picks. If it's like a pick and an asset, like like for instance a Quentin Grimes, something like that, maybe that's more attractive. I don't know, but they are going to want something uh, considerable. They're not going to give them away for free. That's one of those things that like everyone assumes that um, once a guy's available, it's like well they're definitely going to trade him for nothing. Well, no, they're going to trade him for something good, or they're not going to trade him. That's what it is. So that's a long rambling answer, but it's definitely different schools of. Hawks interest, Hawks desire versus like also Murray plays a part here. Um, whether mm. you want that to happen, this is the, the the real NBA behind the scenes is like, yes, he's signed on an extension for four years. I don't think the Hawks are gonna trade DeJounte Murray to somewhere where he would be throwing a fit to go there. That that's just the reality of the situation. It very rarely happens with this level of player that that guy goes to a spot that he doesn't want to go. Like it it has happened, you know what I mean? But um, agents are powerful, especially when you have probably the, one of the most powerful agents in the league and clutch slash Rich Paul behind DeJounte Murray. Like, I don't think he's going to get set to his places that he doesn't want to go. So that's part of this, too. Yeah, I it, it always I mean, you, you didn't see Charlotte dumping 10 first round picks for Kevin Durant last year for for a reason. I think it <laughs> yeah. ultimately like you, you just end up in the same situation. You need, you need, you buy, you, you need buy in. I mean, th- yeah. these guys are human beings and if they, if they don't want to be there. Yeah, they'll show up and play. Most guys are show. They won't. Most guys are not going to hold out. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get the best out of a guy unless he wants to be there. Of, of course. Um, and presumably most 
most guys want to be in New York to some extent or another with DeJounte, like my question would be like, like is, is his grander priority versus a market like getting to be the point guard? And then to your point, like Brooklyn, Orlando in particular makes like an immense amount of sense for him, even, even with all the, the morass of guards they have there. Like he would be such a good fit with Paolo and Franz. Um, but from a Knicks perspective, in terms of what they would give up, I, I think something in the framework of a first round pick, Quinn Grimes, Evan Fournier, probably is the trade. It was reported by yeah. the Athletics. Fred Katz, the Knicks are, are actively like, listening to offers on Quinn Grimes right now and, and just based on on him not being upgraded in the rotation, despite the fact that they traded two guys out and really brought in only one substantially used perimeter piece in OG and Anobi, like Grimes is as if anything played less after that. So that's been a pretty clear sign. He's on the outs with the Knicks. I personally disagree with that. I really love him as a player. I think he would be really great in Atlanta and like a very clean fit next to Trey Young with with how talented of a passer is and the fact that Grimes hasn't developed very much as an on-the-ball guy. Like I, I don't think that would be nearly as much of an issue playing with Young um, as it's been on the Knicks who are trying to use him more of, as a bench scorer and I think maybe at hopes that he would be a little bit more of a bench creator. I, I think where this would break down or come down to is how valuable the first-round pick Atlanta would presumably want that and correct if often this Brad I would think they'd want that pick to be um, as far out as possible or at least three four years out versus like this year's pick from the Knicks which is obviously not going to be all that great um, the Knicks would maybe try to barter over having like a little bit of protection on it or sending out like two um, lesser first round picks like whether it's the Pistons pick that's protected but I actually do think is is, is decently valuable and eventually will convey as, as something like the 12th or 13th pick in the draft combined with like the Wizards pick that's pretty heavily projected it might not convey um, <laughs> or, or the Bucks pick that's top five protected like the Knicks would maybe try to get away with two of those instead of like a true blue unprotected first round pick and and I wonder if Atlanta feels all right then we'll just go with the Lakers and we'll get this um super value what is it 2029 20, 2030 20, that yes. the Lakers that the Lakers can deal that that we think would, would have good reason to think could be a top five top 10 pick so that that is what this ultimately comes down to for me and and on the Knicks end in terms of whether you want to go that extra mile to go and get him like is the idealized version of DeJounte Murray realistic and after having this conversation with you Brad and based on my own inclination I think not because I, th I think if the Knicks were like, all right, we are getting the ultimate three and D plus guy. They're like, yeah, sign me up. That's a clear cut upgrade. Like it does give us like a puncher's chance in the East this year. If we're getting someone who sees himself as more and, and just the fact that like, he's not super happy playing the role we're going to ask him to play, like limits the functional utility of all of his talent. Um, I, I think the Knicks are like, you know what, if we're going to lose in the second round in five games versus seven games, like let, let's just, let's just save our, save our gunpowder for a future deal. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. I, I would be in the same spot. I, I having watched Dejounte the last year and a half, he's a really good player. That's that's something I I think I get people think that I'm like super low on, and I'm not. Like I, I think yeah. it's more that I'm low on his defense because it's been harmful at times. But like I think he can ramp it up, and I, I just don't love the fit in New York. I don't hate it. It's not like it's untenable. Whereas like if the Knicks trade for Dejounte Murray as a non-Hawks, like put the Hawks stuff aside, I'd be like, okay, I, I at least get why they would do that. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? He does have the rep on defense. He does give them another guy in the, in the, that can handle the ball and score. Um, and, and like, and the contract, like you said, is very reasonable. Like I know it was the most the Hawks could offer him legally, but that it, like people have said max, he's, it's not make, he's not even close to the max. Like he's, he, he got the maximum allowed offer, but yeah. it's not a max contract. It's, it's a good value for what he actually is. It's just that, if you're the Knicks and you're trying to hold your powder, like you said, like this is kind of a, it's not, a, it's not an all in swing on him, but it's a, it's a use some real asset swing on a guy who's going to be making a lot of money in the future. And uh, going back to the Hawks for a second, like 
it's funny because the Knicks have such a wiggle room on all, all these picks that they have coming in and they have their own picks. So it's like the negotiation could be very complicated. If you're the Hawks, maybe you're looking for two of them, but like you're not going to get two good ones. Like it's going to be maybe you get one decent one and maybe 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 the Pistons pick. All those things like there's that there's that conversation whereas the Hawks draft picks are like they have one they can offer and that's it. <laughs> it's just this very yeah. interesting and the Kings pick I guess. Um but no I, I can see them talking. I can see the Knicks drawing a line in the sand, as most teams should in negotiations, and saying, this is going to be our offer, and take it or leave it. I don't know if the Hawks are going to get there or not. And if I was the Knicks, I would not break the bank for Murray. I, I wouldn't, if I was the Knicks. Now, you know, they're not going to listen to me. I, I, sometimes, you'll, probably, you'll probably find this funny. I had a discussion on my podcast about the Knicks, and I basically was advocating the Knicks probably shouldn't do this. And Hawks fans were, like, mad at me that I said that, and they were going to, like, hear me and hear me distracting <laughs> yeah. on DeJounte's defense. I'm like, I promise you Leon Rose, who doesn't talk to anyone in the media anyway, does not listen <laughs> to my podcast. But I, I would, I probably wouldn't push all the chips in. I do think that if it was, like, you know, Grimes, Fournier, and a first, that's a reasonable deal to do. Like, if you're the Knicks, like, I get it. If you want to, if the Hawks want more than that, and if I'm the Hawks, I ask for more than that. Doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're going to get more than that, but it's, I, I would ask for more because like you could just say, hey, this guy's an all star. He's averaging this and this and this and all that stuff. Good contract. Um, there is a deal to be had here. I don't know that it's going to happen. I would guess it doesn't with any any single team. Even if it was the Lakers, you just said yes or no. I would say no. Um, it's just that I, I think that it's plausible. Like, and I, I, I'm not sure how the front office feels. I mean, it's hard because they don't talk to anybody anyway, but it's like, how all in do you need to be to go get DeJounte Murray, who we agree on this discussion is not a perfect fit. And I think perfect is the enemy of good. Sometimes like sometimes you can be fine with that. I think that he would work there. He would make them better. He's better than the guys they have. Like you said earlier, it's just that um, it's a big bullet to fire for a guy who's making $30 million moving forward. And yeah, if you're going to go ahead and do that, you got to be sure. Yeah. I, I do think, just on paper, Brunson, DeJounte, OG, Randall, and whether it's Hardenstein or Mitchell Robinson back in the lineup. I mean, the defensive potential of that lineup is really good. The offensive potential of that. There's a world where it clicks and it, it they, they do have OG in a way the Hawks do not, by the way. That that actually would help them. That's the one major difference, not to cut you off, but yeah. OG is the guy the Hawks wish they had. And I, yeah. I, I do I do wonder if DeJounte, if being having OG there would be better for the fit in New York than, it, than it's been in Atlanta. Yeah, because we've, I think we've seen him have almost like a Pied Piper def- effect defensively for the Knicks, where you watch him defend and you're like, oh, I want to, I want to go and do that too. And it's why I've been begging for the Knicks to give him and Grimes some minutes together, because I think, yeah. I think that would just be terrifying in the playoffs if, if you got that clicking and working at the right time. And I think DeJounte would at least have the potential to replicate what, what Quinn Grimes brings defensively and, and offensively. I mean, it, it's, it's, three guys who shoot the ball really well. Randall, who like in the right series could get hot. And all of a sudden, like the Knicks have some real spacing in a way they haven't in the past. And obviously DeJounte is a slight downgrade from DiVincenzo, just from a, a spacer perspective, because DiVincenzo has been one of the best shooters in the league, but with everything he brings as a secondary creator and, and bringing their bench, probably back to one of the better bench units in the league. There, there, there are real reasons to do it for the Knicks. And I don't want to just seem like I'm a total downer on it because I, like you, like I think I'd very quickly talk myself into it. If the, if the move actually happens, <laughs> Happen. there's just just enough there to give you pause that i i don't think it ultimately goes down but if it does brad uh, we will have you right back on this podcast and i will i will i will be re- i will pretend this conversation never happened i will say you know what from day one i was all in I'm yeah we'll, we'll, we'll dig we'll dig right in i'll i'll, I'll yeah. give you all the all of what you need about his defense and just be like you know what he'll go definitely back to what he was in san antonio as soon as he gets traded from Atlanta. no the uh the uh nihilistic hawks fan in me 
from way back in the day before I lost my fandom entirely almost, <laughs> from covering basketball would be mm-hmm. like, it's, it'd, be, it'd be very Hawks if DeJounte went to so, anywhere, much less the Knicks, but we'll, we'll just say the Knicks here, and immediately was defending like he was in San Antonio. It would, it would be quite on brand. In a lot All right. Of well, let, 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 I'm I'm going to hope that happens. Uh, Thank for, you. for Brad Roland, I'm Gavin Shaw. Brad, before I let you go, I'm just for all, all the Knicks fans listening. Can you tell everyone where they can find um, all your great work? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter slash X. I'm not sure how you refer to it on your show. I always go Twitter, but it is what it is. At BT Roland, I am the host of the Hawks podcast, and uh, that's the place to find me. So check it out. I appreciate it. I'm a Twitter man myself. Brad Roland, Gavin Shaw. We'll talk to you very very soon on both Locked On Knicks and Locked On Hawks.